The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of fulfillment. God's promises are remembered. The words of his prophets come true. Christ the Lord is born. But the spirit of fulfillment is also true for us. God's purpose in sending his son is to make each of us live up to our potential, to become the people of justice and righteousness and holiness that we were created by God to be. We light this candle as a symbol of Christ, our fulfillment, recognizing that the fulfillment of who we are created to be is possible only because Christ is born in Bethlehem. Please stand as we continue in worship together.
Christ has come. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. As we gather today, I want to um, mention a couple things happening tonight at 5 o'clock. Just note that time. 5 o'clock, we'll be gathering here for our annual carol sing. It's time to get together. We just sing a lot of Christmas carols. 
ones that are in our hymnal. We have a sheet with others that are not in our hymnal. And it's just a chance to, to sing carols together. There'll be a, the children's choir will sing a song. There's an adult ensemble also singing. And then after that, we'll go to the community room for just a time of fellowship, sharing some Christmas cookies. And if uh, you can bring some cookies, that would be great. Uh, but we want you to, to come and uh, just have a chance to fellowship together as we move toward uh, Christmas. So that's tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, over the next few weeks, we'll not have any Wednesday evening activities because of the holidays, so just take note of that. And next Sunday morning, we begin uh, having just one service at 10 o'clock for the next four weeks. And you can see the schedule in the back of the bulletin, so just note that next Sunday, one service at 10 o'clock. Um, also, I want to remind you of our Christmas Eve services, service at 5 and at 7. And uh, we look forward to these times together as we uh, celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas Eve. One of the great joys we have as a church is to dedicate our children to God, and we have the opportunity to do so again this morning. Dan and Jess, God has blessed you with this little one. And today you come to dedicate him back to God. You are here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ. And in this public act of dedication, you are declaring your desire that he would be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of this church. In this act, you're welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that he would learn early the things of God and that his life would be defined by a lifelong commitment to follow God to the very end of his life, that he may receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education that he may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct his mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct his feet to the sanctuary, to restrain him from evil associates and habits and as much as possible to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? If so, answer, we will. In Mark's gospel, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What name have you given your child? Isaac Joseph Wardinger, on behalf of your parents and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. As we mention every time we dedicate our children to God, this is, this is really a threefold covenant that's taking place here. God is, is at the foundation of everything that happens in his life. 
And we know from the scriptures, we know from our own experiences that God is at work, even now in his young life, to draw him to himself. Dan and Jess have declared their commitment as parents to help him know Christ and to do all in their power uh, to uh, raise him in the faith. But we also have a responsibility, and brothers and sisters do too. We have a responsibility to, to help him know Christ. And we'll have opportunities to perhaps teach him in a class. We also have many opportunities just simply to be the love of Christ to him in his life as we see him. And so I want to ask you to stand and to affirm your commitment to this little one and to his family. Those lights are pretty, aren't they? As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Isaac grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love him? Will you be a godly witness to him? And will you help him know and accept the grace of God in his life? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Father, we thank you for this little one that we dedicate to you today. We thank you for bringing him into this world and for the gift that he is to his family and to us as a church family. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be upon him, to protect him from all of the ways in which he may be drawn away from you and instead to have a heart all of his life to follow you. We pray, Father, that you will give to Dan and Jess wisdom that they need as parents to love him and to nurture him in the faith, helping him to know you and to want to follow you. We pray, Lord, for, for his big sister and brother, Adeline and Elliot, and we ask that you would watch over them, that you would bless their lives, and as they walk with you, they would be a godly witness to their little brother. We pray, Father, for this family, that you would watch over them in every way and help them to be a place in which faith is nurtured. Help us as a congregation to be faithful to this little one, that we would share with him the love and the grace that is ours in Christ. Father, we dedicate him to you today, and we do so with gratitude and joy because we know your plans for him are more awesome than we could ever dream or imagine. He is yours. We give him to you. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. And ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give back to God our tithes and our offerings. Let's
As we spend some time praying together, if you would like to use the altar rails, your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, we come to you during this season of hope and joy and light in life. And our prayer is that the, the power and the, the grace of Jesus would be born in us again. We pray, Father, that you would fill us with the hope that your prophets spoke about and the hope that we see because Christ is born. Father, we pray that you will rekindle your hope in those who have grown grown weary and who feel that life is, is really darkness right now. We pray, Lord, that you would restore hope to those who's, who are feeling at the moment just the great weight and burden of life upon them. We pray that you will restore to all of us the vision, the joy, the excitement of life in you. As we live our lives with a sense of mission and purpose. Because Christ has come. Father, so often we are imprisoned by things in our past. We are imprisoned by sins that haunt us. We are imprisoned by by traumas that we can't shake. We are imprisoned by words that have cut us and hurt us deeply. We are imprisoned by disappointments that we simply can't let go of. Father, this morning, may the hope of Christ break through the walls and the barriers and the struggles that we would be set free. We pray, Father, that you will help us to reframe that past so that it no longer imprisons and limits us today. Help us, Father, in Christ to reframe that past that you might actually use it as a means of us ministering to others who are struggling in similar ways. We pray, Father, that you will work your hope, your grace, your love, your mercy into each of our lives. Father, Christ comes into a world of broken people. In our world of brokenness, come again to us, transform us, touch us with your grace. 
And we pray, Father, that in all the situations of life, in the confusion and the strife, in the burdens and the struggles, may we see Christ in new ways and bear witness to Christ in this world of great need. Thank you, Father, that Christ has come. Fill our hearts with his grace, his mercy, his love. And we pray all of this in his name. As we remember the prayer that he teaches his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men with whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds, came to, shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they were told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Um, 
children ages two to four could be dismissed for children's church, and kids grades kindergarten through second could be dismissed for junior church. That's not going to work. Okay, that's not going to work either. Let's set that there. Do you ever wonder about the ways in which God works in your life and in the world? 
Do you ever have questions of God about why certain things are happening or why certain things are not happening? Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever come to God and say, Lord, is that really, is that really the way that ought to happen? Is that really the way things should take place? We have to admit, I, I ask those questions of God sometimes. I say, Lord, um, isn't there a better way to do this? Couldn't there have been a different way to make that happen? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't this make more sense? Wouldn't, wouldn't this be better? Have you ever done that? There, there is something in our minds of, of thinking that, I know it's a little bit ludicrous, but thinking that we have a better handle on how to do things than God does. It's human nature to think that way and to feel that way and to ask those kinds of questions. Because quite frankly, as we think about our own lives and as we think about the history of God and his people and of God in the world, we have so many Instances in which God does things in a way that we would never have done them. And there is something about the way in which God works in the world that seems to imply that that he loves to do the unexpected. You think back to how speaking into Abraham's life and, and Abraham saying to Abraham... You and your wife, Sarah, are going to have a child. You're going to have a son. Even though Abraham is 75 years old. And it's going to be another 25 years before that child is born. When Abraham's child is older and has his own children, he has, his wife has twins. And God chooses the twin whose name from the very beginning means deceiver. And that really does describe his life. And you see throughout his life that Jacob just, he's known as a person who deceives people. And yet that's the one God chooses. And once the, this people, the, these, the children of, of Israel, are, they, God chooses them and says, okay, you're going to be my people Who are they? They are slaves in Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. They have the mindset of a slave. All they understand about life really is being a slave. And God says, you're going to be a great nation. They don't know the first thing about being a great nation. They don't know how to fight wars. They don't, they don't, know, how, they don't know anything. And all throughout their history, they keep failing over and over and over again. And this is who God chooses. And when it comes time to say, this is the king who's going to put the stamp on my people. This is the one that people are going to look back and say... This is the guy that we aspire to be like. He chooses a shepherd boy that everyone says, who is he? And his life is not exactly the kind of life we would say model everything he does. And yet God says, that's my man. And then it comes to the story of the Messiah, of Christ sending his son into the world, the one who's going to be the savior of the world, And he chooses a couple who are as common as you could imagine. Now, we're okay with that. We, we kind of like 
you know, people who are kind of like those stories where people kind of rise up out of nothing to, to be famous. But their circumstances are not just about being common. I mean, here is a woman who is not married to this man yet. They're engaged to be married. And she is expecting a child. Now, in our culture, we're sort of used to that, but not in that culture. I mean, Jewish law says you can be stoned for doing that. And, and here she is, and she is, as, as a pregnant woman, unmarried, she would not only shame herself, but her family, certainly her fiancé, her village, and God. And this is who God chooses. And this is the way in which God chooses to accomplish his purpose. And you think about Joseph. Joseph is dealing with two demons. He's dealing with all the perceptions of everyone around him who looks at him and says, way to go, Joseph. Wow, I can't believe it. I thought you were a better person than that. I thought you were more religious and spiritual than that. And at the same time, wrestling with his own inner demons because he knows he's not the baby's child. He's not the baby's father. What's Mary done to him? Imagine the conversation that Mary has with Joseph when she tries to explain to him what's taking place. Really? I mean, it takes the visit of an angel before Joseph says, okay, I think I get this. I mean, we love this story now, thousands of years later. And, you know, we, we love the pageants and we love all the things. You know, we love the little the, the crash and we love all the, the things that are about the story. But quite frankly, Jesus is born surrounded in shame. I don't think we would have done it that way. That's not how we do things in this world. And, and on top of that, when God says, I'm going to send the Messiah into the world, he, he comes as, as a little baby and it has to spend up to 30 years before he even says a word about what his mission is to be. Before he reveals himself and declares himself a baby. I mean, babies can't communicate anything. You know, they're precious. We love them. We love looking at them. We love, you know, babies like we had this morning. I mean, they're awesome and we, we are grateful for babies. But we don't talk about babies being tools of communication. And all babies know is, I need something. And they cry when they need something. And, and they're all, they're totally self-absorbed. Can you imagine a baby in the middle of the night waking up and saying, I am hungry but you know what? It's 2.30 in the morning. Mom and dad are tired. I've done this enough. You know what? Today, tonight, I'm not going to say anything until morning. And then I'll let them know I need some food. We can only wish, right? They wake up. They're hungry. They scream. They cry. That's how they communicate with us. And sometimes when they cry, we don't know what's wrong with them. We can't figure it out. And God says, eh, this is how I want to communicate to a baby. It, it, we, we'd scratch our heads and say, really, that's the way you want to do this. And you think about, about the way in which God communicates the message that this child is born. I was thinking about that this summer when uh, William and Catherine, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, 
had their, their son, Prince George, when he was born. And the word that, that how they announced the birth. And they practiced, they did what uh, William's mother and father did when he was born. They put up this, this easel with this, this document on it with all the details of the birth. And it's signed by the physicians who were involved in the birth. And they put this up in front of Buckingham Palace. Now, what I found so fascinating as I was reading about this is that in order to ensure a safe and, and swift uh, uh, journey to Buckingham Palace, they, they put this little uh, paper in a frame, they put it in a car, and they drove it with a police escort through the streets of London to Buckingham Palace from the hospital. Now, I'm picturing in my mind, I mean, do they have this thing seat belted in the back seat? Are, you know, there are pillows around it. Is there a guy sitting there with a gun? Uh, when, they, when they get to Buckingham Palace, they open the doors and all the Secret Service guys jump out. And, you know, they're guarding it as they run to the, put this thing up. I'm thinking a police escort to the city of London for a piece of paper? Now, that's how you announce this is an important birth, Right? I mean, if you're going to do this, do it right. Lights flashing, sirens. I mean, this, this is how you tell people this is an important child that was born. And what does God do? Well, it's an angelic choir. That's pretty impressive. But who does this choir appear before? Not at the palace. It's not at the temple. It's out in the field to shepherds, outcasts. Uneducated, uncouth. These are men who rarely ever go to the temple. They don't practice a lot of the traditions of the, of the faith because they simply can't because of the work that they do. And they aren't really welcome in the temple. No one wants to be around them. And it's to shepherds that the birth of Jesus is announced. And we scratch our heads and we say, God, I mean, that's... I mean, again, it makes for great pageants with our children when we now, thousands of years later, but really, wasn't there a better way, a more profound way to communicate the birth of the Messiah? And yet God continues to do these things in a way that we don't expect. We want to say to God, that's not how you do things in our world. That doesn't draw attention. That doesn't get people to think and to see and to look. That's not how we do things here. See, for us, we believe that power rests in the capitals of nations and in the boardrooms of Fortune 500s. And the people who have the most wealth and the most power and the majority of people, that's where things get done. And God keeps reminding us that in his kingdom, it's not the way it works. In the kingdom of God, it's about humility, not exerting power. It's about surrender, not grasping. It's about letting go, not seeing how much we can get. It's about giving away. And it goes against the grain of all the ways in which we think things get done in this world most effectively. 
And we're continually reminded that God works through the unexpected. And he does that in your life and in my life and in this world. When we think about God intersecting our lives, interacting in our lives, we tend to think of God in, in hap- things happening in some kind of, of highly emotional experience. And sometimes God does that. Sometimes God comes to us, God speaks into our lives in, some, in a moment that we will never forget. But more often than not, the voice of God comes to us in common things in everyday life in in the moments when we might least expect it and through people whom we might least expect maybe coming through little children maybe coming through people who, who we don't really have that much respect for People who are different from us. Recently, a friend was telling me about, about an incident when he was in college a number of years ago. And he was an RA and he had, he had uh, uh, the resident director of his dorm. was a guy, he liked him and you know, they got along well. But he didn't really have a, a ton of respect for this guy. He said, you know, I don't, he said, I don't know if it was my, where I was in my spiritual journey, if it was my upbringing, whatever. But he said... I just looked at this guy and thought, you know, he watches way too many movies. He, he has way too much fun with, with people in the dorm. He's not serious enough. And he said, I was all about being serious. And I was in a conversation with, we had, you know, there, as an RD and RA, they had weekly conversations. And said so we were having a conversation one day and, and I was just saying to him how I was really wrestling in my spiritual journey because I didn't feel like I was giving God enough of my time. He said, I had seven classes and I was only involved in six ministries. And so I, I just felt like I was out of balance. I was too much studying and not enough of God. And he said this, His RD said to him very gently, he said, well, couldn't God be in all of that stuff too? Couldn't God be at work in your schoolwork and in your relationships with people? He said, you know, because I didn't really have a ton of respect for this person, I just sort of brushed off his comment. But he said, through the years, I've never forgotten it. And through the years, as I matured and as God worked in my life, he kept bringing those words back to me over and over and over again. And eventually, I saw what a false image of God I had created. And how God had, had helped me to, to change my mindset from very compartmentalized life of this is about God and this is about other things to... God's in all of it. And so I'm still working on it, but I've come to see that God isn't just in some moments of my life, but I want God to be in all of the moments of my life because I believe God speaks in all of the moments of my life. And God is at work in all of the moments of my life. I have this sense that we have a tendency to put God in a box. 
God can only work in the ways that we think God can work. And that's what happens with the religious leaders when Jesus is born. You know, they have this mindset of God can only work this way. And Jesus comes in a different way and they completely miss him. And I don't want us to be like that. I don't want us to miss God speaking into our lives through circumstances and people and situations that we might not expect. Part of the issue, I think, for us is that we have a tendency to think God is most concerned about the end of our journey instead of the journey. So often, all we're thinking about is, I just need to get to that end. I just want to get to that place. That's all I care about. And, and we are missing all the things that God wants to do in getting us to that end. And I'm convinced as I read scripture, as I think about my own life, as I talk with people, that God is far more concerned about the journey than he is the end. Because if we are in tune with God on the journey, the end takes care of itself. But if all we're focused on is the end, then we get tunnel vision about the ways in which God can work in our lives and speak into our lives. And we miss all of the things that God wants to do for us. And actually, it hinders us getting to the end. And often it's about control. God, I want to control my life. I want to control how you work in my life. I kind of want to control what I'm willing to let you hear, what I'm willing to let you say into my life. And so I'm going to close myself off from anyone or anything that I might disagree with, that I might have an issue with, that I might not understand. And the only way that you can speak into my life is if you do it in a way that makes sense to me. And all the while, God is speaking to us in a thousand different ways that we are missing. And in missing it, we are missing out on the work of God in our lives that brings us peace and joy and grace and everything that deep in our hearts we desperately want. Because we want to control the way in which God speaks and works. Someone asked me recently, why why do you think God does that? Why do you think God works in all these unexpected ways? Why, Why wouldn't he work in ways that that we're ready for and that we're looking for. I think it's because despite what we say, we're not really looking for God at all. Because we put God in boxes because we think we can control God and God will not be controlled. And God wants us to understand that our mindset about God in our lives is so tiny. And his is so big. And so God speaks to us outside of the things, outside of the ways that we might normally think. And he does speak in the ways that are normal as well. 
But it's just so much more than that, so much bigger than that. And some of the greatest surprises, some of the greatest joys in life are hearing God speak through things that we didn't expect. Those are some of those moments where we step back and say, wow, that was awesome, God. Thank you. St. Ignatius used to say that God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. I like that. And I'm convinced God is using crooked sticks to draw all kinds of lines in our lives to get us where he wants us to be, to make us the people he wants us to be, to reveal to us what he wants in our lives. And I believe God is continually working, figuring out ways that we will hear him speaking into our lives. We just have to see it and open our ears to hear it because he has so much he wants to say and do. Do expected ways, and unexpected ways. And as I've been pondering this, my, my mind has gone back to one of my favorite Christmas stories. It's, it's actually a poem written by Edwin Markham. And it may be something familiar to many of you. It's called The, the, the Shoemaker's Dream. And it's a story about a shoemaker in the old days who had a dream one night that the next day Jesus was going to visit his shop. And so when he woke up, he ran out early in the morning to the woods and he grabbed some greenery and he decorated his shop in order to prepare it for the coming of Christ. And he waited all through the morning for Christ to come, but, but no one came except for an old man who came to the door and asked to come in for some warmth. And, and the, the shoemaker invited him in and and, and got him warmed up. And as he was sitting there visiting with him, he noticed that his shoes were in tatters and barely even there. And so he went to the shelf and he reached down and made sure that when this old man went on his way, he had a new pair of shoes. And he waited throughout the afternoon for Jesus to come. And again, no one came except for he noticed an old woman outside who was carrying a load of firewood on her shoulders and he went out and he invited her in and, and to warm up and to rest and in his conversation with her he came to, to understand that she hadn't eaten for two days and so he made sure that when she went on her way she left nourished from a good meal and as day was turning to dusk still no one had come Jesus had not arrived and as it was nightfall was coming, he heard a cry out, crying outside and he went out and there was a little child who was lost. And he brought him in and he warmed him up and then he took his hand and took him home. When he got back to his shop, it was dark and he was sad and, and a little bit upset. And he, he said, Lord, have you forgotten that this was the day? And out of the silence, a voice he heard, lift up your heart. I kept my word. Three times I came to your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. 
I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the child on the homeless street. If the incarnation tells us anything, it's that God will come in any way, at any time, through anyone. He may speak into our lives when we're doing things like worshiping and reading the scriptures and praying. He will speak into our lives when we're preparing a meal or taking out the trash or talking to a neighbor. Anytime. He's asking us to have ears that are ready to hear and eyes that are ready to see and hearts that are ready to receive. Father, even now, speak into our hearts. Help us to understand the dynamics of your kingdom, the way in which you work in the world and in us. We want to be open to you, that we might hear you and see you. We pray this through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
receive the benediction. Because Christ is born, may you go and know his peace, his joy, his love, his grace in your life every day. Amen. Thank you.